and now he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming and um, coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians. But they went about to slay him, which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarshish. Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. Let's just open with a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this wonderful day. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be together once again and to come and worship you and to spend some time around your word. I pray as we continue to consider Acts chapter 9 this morning, I pray that you would speak to our hearts through your word, that you give us understanding of the passage and may we learn something from your truth this morning. May you be honoured and glorified, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, when we started to look at Acts chapter 9, we said that there were four meetings that take place here. Saul has four meetings um, that each have an effect upon Saul. And so far, we've looked at the first three of those meetings. The first, of course, was the most important of all. He met the Lord on the road to Damascus. Okay, that blinding light that stopped him in his tracks. He met the Lord, and you know, this was a life changing event. This was when he got saved, where he recognized that Jesus was the Christ, was his Messiah, his Savior and Lord. We then saw how he met with the man Ananias. You know, we saw how Ananias is a wonderful example in the Word of God of an obedient servant. You know, at first he's a bit reluctant to obey, but when the Lord answers his questions, he goes and he sees Saul, the, the persecutor. He heals Saul and baptizes Saul in the name of the Lord. And then last week we saw how Saul met with opposition for the very first time. Now, after he got saved, Saul had a great passion to tell others what he now knew to be true. He wanted everyone else to know that Jesus is the Christ. So he has this great passion to tell everyone around him. We saw how he went to Arabia and the Lord trained him there for near three years. He spends being trained by the Lord before coming back to Damascus and preaching and teaching the truth. And you know, the Jews in response there at Damascus are angered by Saul and his doctrine, and so they seek to put him to death. And we just read there in verse 25 that they take him and the disciples take him, sorry, and let him down by night over the wall, um, and they rescue him from that situation. Well, the Lord rescues him from that situation. And now we come to verse 26 to 31, and we, we find the final meeting here uh, in this passage. We see Saul here, he flees from Damascus, and he returns to Jerusalem. It says at the start of verse 26 there, and when Saul was come to Jerusalem. So he leaves Damascus, and he heads back to Jerusalem. It's here that we see this final meeting takes place. Saul meets the believers at Jerusalem. He meets the believers at Jerusalem. And there are two stages to Saul's experience here, if you like, with the church in Jerusalem. First of all, we see that Saul is rejected. Saul is rejected. Verse 26, it says, And when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. If we turn over to Galatians chapter 1 and verse 18, we went there last week, but let's just turn there. 
<clears throat> Galatians chapter 1, verse 18, it says this. Well, we're starting verse 17. Neither went I up to Jerusalem to them which were apostles before me, but I went to Arabia and returned again unto Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 days. And so in Galatians chapter 1, verse 18, Paul himself tells us that he returns to Jerusalem after three years. And so three years has passed since he left Jerusalem, went to Damascus, got saved, he spent time in Arabia, and now he's coming back to Jerusalem. Three years have gone by. You know, a lot has changed in those three years for Saul, hasn't it? A lot has changed. You know, he's met the Lord on the road to Damascus. He's gotten saved. He's he spent time alone with the Lord in Arabia being trained. And now as he returns to Jerusalem, Saul is in a very difficult position, isn't he? You know, you consider the, the predicament, the position that he is in. You know, when he left Jerusalem, he was, if you like, the golden child, wasn't he? You know, he was loved by the Sanhedrin. He was loved by the Jews, by the chief priests. They loved him. Saul was their golden child. He was the one that they were putting a lot of trust in to eradicate the Christians. He was the, the main persecutor. But now as he returns to Jerusalem, he's now seen as a traitor. Now, these, these same ones who stood on his side now hate Saul. He's a traitor to them. He's defected to the other side. And so instead of being loved, he's now public enemy number one. Things have totally changed for this man, Saul. You know, and then on the other hand, you know, when he left Jerusalem, the church greatly feared him. They feared his persecution. You know, he was known for his cruelties. He was known for his passion against the church and against the Lord. And so now as he returns to Jerusalem and he's seeking to join with the church, you know, they're very wary of him, aren't they? You know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, lack of trust, if you like, of Saul. So Saul, if you like, is caught between the two, isn't he? Okay, the ones who used to love him, they now hate him. The ones that hated him before don't trust him. And so Saul is in a predicament as he comes back to Jerusalem. In verse 26 here, we're told that he essayed to join himself to the disciples. The word essayed here means that he attempted or he endeavoured to join with the disciples. You know, from the English here, it seems that he made one attempt. I mean, that's the way it's sort of written in English, isn't it? He essayed to join with the disciples. To us, it seems like one attempt, he failed, and we don't know what he's doing after that. But when you read it in the Greek, what you find is that this word is written in the imperfect tense, which implies that it was a continuous, repeated action and so he didn't just try once to join with them he repeatedly tried to join with the disciples you get the impression he was repeatedly knocking on their door and repeatedly they're saying no repeatedly tries to join with them he tries to join in fellowship with these fellow believers and the response of the believers to each attempt is that they reject him at the end of verse 26 there it says but they are all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. Now, we're told quite simply here that they're afraid of him. They're scared of him, and they, they don't believe that his conversion is genuine. They don't believe he's a disciple. 
Now, as I was reading the commentators this week, the majority of them are baffled by the response of the church at Jerusalem. They're baffled, they're puzzled by this response because this is their reasoning. You know, they say, well, surely, after three years has passed, surely news has reached Jerusalem that Saul, the persecutor, has got saved. Surely they know by now what has happened to Saul and surely they have been told all these things and so when Saul knocks on their door, surely they should welcome him with open arms. And so most commentators are very baffled by the response here. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not baffled at all. I'm not puzzled at all by their response. Consider it for me, with me. The last time they saw this man, he was bashing down their doors and taking men and women off to prison with the intent of executing them. Go back to chapter 8 with me in verse 3. <clears throat> Acts chapter 8, verse 3. It says, As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Now, this is the last time they saw this man. He was bashing down their doors and grabbing as many as he could and taking them to prison. And we know from other passages, the intent was that they be executed. And indeed, many of them were executed because of Saul. You know, the very sight of this man had meant danger. You know, they were very fearful of this man. And now this man returns to Jerusalem and he's knocking on the door, asking to join with them in fellowship. Of course they're suspicious. Of course they are standing off. Of course they are afraid of him. Yeah, I'm sure they've heard news from Damascus, but that doesn't negate what they've seen him do in the past, does it? This is still in their minds. It's still fresh in their memories. You know, some of them have probably even been directly affected by Saul. You know, some of them have probably got their own family members arrested by Saul. And so imagine having him in your church, knowing that he arrested your brother, your sister, your mother, your father. Now, this is, the, this is the state the church is in as they see Saul. This is what's been brought to their minds. So it's not hard for you and I to understand their suspicion, is it? It's not hard to understand why they're standing off. You know, for all they knew, this was just an elaborate hoax to infiltrate the church. This was just an excuse to get in so that he could persecute or cause havoc from within. Yeah, so these believers are finding it very hard to believe the sincerity of Saul. And so like I said earlier, Saul finds himself between the two, hated by the Jews and rejected by the church. You know, what Saul needed was he needed someone to come alongside and to stand for him and to vouch for him before the believers so that he could be accepted. And that's the second point this morning. We see now Saul accepted Saul accepted. Just read with me verse 27. It says, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians that they went about to slay him, which... When the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarshish. 
You know, as we read on, we find that Barnabas is the one who stands up for Saul. Barnabas is the one who vouches for Saul before the brethren. Now, we first met Barnabas back in chapter 4. Just turn there, chapter 4 of Acts and verse 36. It says, And Joseph, who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which has been interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite and of the country of Cyprus, having land sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. You know, when we're introduced to him here in Acts chapter 4, he's called Barnabas by the apostles. Why? Because the name means son of consolation or encouragement. And so it shouldn't surprise us to find here in Acts chapter 9 that the one who encourages Saul, the one who comes alongside him, is the son of encouragement. It's Barnabas. You know, while the rest of the church is very wary to accept Saul, very slow to forgive, very slow to forget his past attacks, Barnabas, the man of encouragement, seeks out Saul and is willing to accept him, willing to listen to him and to vouch for him. In verse 27, we're told that he takes hold of Saul and brings him to the apostles. Okay, it says in verse 27, but Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles, to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way and that he had spoken to him and how he preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. Now we know from Galatians chapter 1 that this meeting was only with two of the apostles. It wasn't with all of them. Just turn over there. Galatians chapter 1. <clears throat> and verse 18 again where we were before. It says, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter, and abode with him fifteen days, but other of the apostles... Saw I none, save James, the Lord's brother. So in Galatians chapter 1, we're told that he only meets with two of the apostles. He doesn't meet with all of them. Now where the rest of the apostles are at this time, or why he doesn't meet with them, we're not told. We don't know why he doesn't meet them. But Paul makes it very clear in Galatians chapter 1, that he only meets with Peter and James, the brother of the Lord. And so perhaps you know the apostles at this time were out of Jerusalem, maybe they're out ministering in the outskirts. We don't know. But whatever the reason is, he only sees these two men. And having brought Saul before these men, Barnabas proceeds to convince them of Saul's conversion. You know, evidently Saul had given Barnabas his testimony. You know, Barnabas had sought out Saul and Saul had given him his testimony, and Barnabas has believed that testimony. Because Barnabas now takes him to Peter and takes him to James, and he stands there and he relays Saul's conversion unto them. In verse 27 it says, um, But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of of Jesus. And so he brings Saul before the apostles, before Peter and James, and he declares unto them what the Lord has done for Saul. He declares, you know, what he's heard from Saul. He relays Saul's conversion, Saul's testimony. He tells them how the Lord met Saul on the way to Damascus, how the Lord had saved him and changed him. 
He relays how Saul is now preaching instead of persecuting Christ. Now think about that for a second. What trust Barnabas is placing in Saul here? What trust, what confidence he's placing in Saul and his testimony? To stand up and to vouch for him before the apostles. You know, because of this trust, you know, some have tried to suggest that you know, maybe Barnabas already knew Saul from earlier in life. I mean, Barnabas and Saul, you know, they're in close vicinity where they, where they both lived. Maybe they'd met before. Others have suggested that maybe, you know, he'd been in Damascus and he'd spent time with Saul after his conversion. You know, the truth is that we're not told anything like that in the Word of God, are we? We don't read anything about that. We're simply told that when everyone else rejected Saul... Barnabas didn't. Barnabas found him, Barnabas listened to him and stood up for him. You know, we don't need to invent a reason as to why he trusts Saul here. We don't need to invent a reason. Because you see, the reason is clear, the reason is simple. Because Barnabas is the son of consolation. That's who he was. This is, this is his whole character. Barnabas was this kind of man. He encouraged others. He thought the best in others. That's the kind of man he was. We don't need to invent a reason as to why he trusts Saul. He trusts Saul because he is a man of encouragement. And he listens to Saul. Now, what an example Barnabas is to all of us as believers. Now, Barnabas, in his actions towards Saul, truly reflects Christ and his love, doesn't he? That's what he shows to Saul. When Saul is discouraged and down and can't get into the church, Barnabas goes and shows him the love of Christ. Shows him love and he listens to him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7, we are told that charity or love believeth all things. That's exactly what Barnabas does here, isn't it? He shows him charity, shows him love. He believes Saul's testimony. Now, truly, Barnabas loved Saul, showed him the love of Christ. Now, we don't want to be too critical of the rest of the believers in Jerusalem because, like I said, we can fully understand their reaction, fully understand why they are afraid, why they don't trust Saul. You know, Barnabas reacted in the right way. Now, he showed the love of Christ under Saul when no one else would. He went and spoke to Saul and he got the facts before he reacted as well. You know, that he went and got the facts from the horse's mouth, mouth as it is, from Saul. And then he made a reaction based on that, not on hearsay. You know, everyone else couldn't see past what Saul used to be. But Barnabas was willing to listen and accept that Christ could change even a man like Saul. He understood that Christ can change anyone. As I said, truly there is an example here for all of us to follow. You know, we see an example here of how we are to treat others. You know, all men need the Savior, regardless of what they've done in the past, regardless of what they've done to us. They need the Savior. And when they then get saved, like everyone else, they are a brother or sister in Christ. And what they need is that, like Barnabas, we show them love, we show them forgiveness, we show them acceptance. Now, we also see an example of encouraging 
fellow believers. You know, Barnabas sees in Saul someone who's in need of encouragement, doesn't he? Someone who's a bit down. He's feeling rejected. And Barnabas encourages him, comes alongside and helps him. You know, by the same token, we need to do the same thing, don't we? When we see a brother or sister in Christ who is down, who is discouraged, we need to come alongside and encourage them. Encourage them in the Lord and show them the love of Christ. Show them that we love them, we care about them. You know, that's what the whole church family is about, isn't it? That we show love and care for the brethren, for one another. And that's exactly what Barnabas does here. You know, ultimately, the whole church reacts in the right way. Because ultimately, after they hear Barnabas' testimony, they hear Barnabas stand up and vouch for Saul, they accept Saul as one of the brethren. And so they do react in the right way in the end. Verse 29 we read, uh, sorry, verse 28, and he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. In other words, he's now part of the brethren. Because of Barnabas standing up and vouching him, Saul is accepted and Saul is coming in and going out with them at Jerusalem. He's accepted into the fellowship there, communing with them. And now that he's accepted, we find that Saul immediately, what does he want to do? Preach Christ. Verse 29, it says, And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. Immediately, Saul wants to get back to doing what God's called him to do. He wants to preach Christ. We're told in verse 29 that with great boldness, he speaks in the name of the Lord. As I said, this is all that Saul wanted to do. He just wanted to tell others about the Lord. And in particular here, we're told that he disputes with the Grecians. The Grecians were the Hellenists, if you remember. You know, these are the, the Jews who had accepted Greek culture and were from all over the Roman Empire. Okay? And these are the very same ones who engineered the trial and death of Stephen. If you turn back with me to chapter 6, <clears throat> Chapter 6 and verse 9 says, Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines, and, the Cy and Cyrenians and Alexandrians, and of them of Cilicia and of Asia, disputing with Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spake. Then they suborned men, which said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God. And they stirred up the people, and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses which said, This man ceaseth not to speak blasphemous words against this, this holy place and the law. We've heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. And all that sat in the council looking steadfastly on him saw his face as it had been the face of an angel." In chapter 6 here, we read of the synagogues that stood against um, Stephen, you know, that Stephen was ministering in and they stood up against him. Those synagogues are the Hellenists, they are the Grecians. And Saul himself was born in Tarsus, which is in Cilicia, okay, one of these synagogues. So Saul is one of them. Saul is one of these people, he's one of these, this number, this group. 
You know, these are the people that he would have known, that he would have grown up with. He's probably going back to his own synagogue that he'd been a part of. You know, he goes to these same ones and now he disputes with them concerning Christ. It's interesting, isn't it, that he picks up where Stephen left off. You know, he was, had a major part in Stephen's death, didn't he? And now he goes and he picks up where Stephen left off. He ministers in the same place to the same people. And the results are exactly the same. See, at the end of verse 29, we're told that they plot to kill him. It says in verse 29, And he spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, but they went about to slay him. You know, their reaction here is swift and violent. You know, to them, Saul was worse than Stephen. You know, this is the man that many of them had followed in persecuting the church. As far as they were concerned, he was a traitor, and so immediately they seek to kill him. In Galatians chapter 1, verse 18, where we were before, we're told that he's only in Jerusalem with Peter for 15 days. So after he gets accepted, he's only there for 15 days before he has to flee Jerusalem. Point is, he doesn't have very long there, does he, before he stirs up some strife. It's not very long before the people have had enough of Saul. So we find for the second time in his very short ministry, Saul is once again finding his life is threatened to the Lord. And this time it's by the same people who put Stephen to death the group that he had been part of. Now, at this point, we must turn over to Acts chapter 22 because Acts 22 fills in a little bit more information for us. Acts 22 and verse 17. <clears throat> Acts 22 verse 17, it says, And it came to pass that when I was come again to Jerusalem, even while I prayed in the temple, I was in a trance. And saw him saying unto me, Make haste and get thee quickly out of Jerusalem, for they will not receive thy testimony concerning me. And I said, Lord, they know that I imprisoned and beat in every synagogue them that believed on thee. And when the blood of thy, thy martyr Stephen was shed, I also was standing by and consented unto his death, and kept the raiment of them that slew him. And he said unto me, Depart, for I will send thee far hence unto the Gentiles. So Acts 22, verse 17 to 21 here, tells us that around this time, Saul is in the temple and he's praying. And the Lord speaks to him in a trance. And the Lord speaks to him and reminds Saul of his commission to go to the Gentiles. And he commands Saul to leave Jerusalem quickly. The Lord tells him with great urgency to depart, to leave Jerusalem because your life is in danger. The Lord says they're not going to believe your testimony. And so the Lord is the one who warns Saul to leave. And evidently Saul shares this warning with the church leaders because in Acts chapter 9 and verse 30, we read this, it says, Which when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth, so the Lord warns Saul. Saul shares this with the, the brethren. And the brethren now help Saul to escape. They take Saul, first of all, out of the city down to the seaport of Caesarea. And from there, Saul heads back to his hometown 
of Tarshish. And this matches up with Saul's own account in Galatians chapter 1, verse 21. He says this, Afterwards I came into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. Okay, and so it matches up perfectly with what Saul said. He leaves Jerusalem and he goes back to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and in particular to Tarshish. And this is where we leave Saul for now. We don't read about Saul again until Acts chapter 11, verse 25. And it's interesting that when we do read about him again, who else do we read about? Barnabas. Barnabas, once again, is the one who seeks out Saul to take him to the church to recommend him for the missionary journey. You know, that meeting in Acts chapter 11 is believed to take place around seven years after Saul leaves Jerusalem. Round about, some commentators say a little bit more, but at least seven years after he leaves Jerusalem, goes back to Tarshish before he meets Barnabas again. You know, we're not told what Saul is doing during those seven years, are we? There's a gap. We're not told anything about those seven years. You know, there's one thing that we can be sure of, and that is that he continued to preach Christ. He continued to boldly tell others all that he would, all that would hear about the Lord. How do we know that? Well, that's what he's done so far since he got saved, isn't he? He can't help himself. He just has to tell others. So we can be sure that he's in Tarshish, he's in Cilicia, and he's telling others about the Lord. Now, one commentator I read this, this week suggested that maybe even some of the trials that he mentions in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 may have occurred during this time. I'm not going to go there because we read that list last week, but in verse 24 and onwards, you have the list of trials that he faces. Now, in that list, it is recorded that he was beaten thrice by the Romans. But the book of Acts only records one beating. In that list, it's recorded that he's beaten five times by the Jews. It's not mentioned anywhere in the book of Acts or in the epistles, any of those beatings. You know, likewise, Luke says that there was one shipwreck. Paul says three. And so maybe these, these events that we have no record of, maybe they happened during these seven years. Maybe some of them did at least. We don't know for sure. But you know, one thing we can be sure of is that Saul is not taking a seven-year vacation. That's one thing we can be sure of. He is not taking a vacation. Saul is faithfully laboring where God had him until the Lord calls him with Barnabas to go on that first missionary journey. You know, this section here in chapter 9 concludes with verse 31. It says, Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria, and were edified, and walking in the fear of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost, were multiplying. Now Luke gives us, if you like, a summary of the state of the church. Now with Saul's departure from the scene, active persecution against the church ceases for a period of time. The church has rest, they have peace. And Luke points out that the church has spread to Judea, to Galilee, to Samaria. And that during this time of peace, it says that they multiplied. It grows. And you know, soon the church would spread even further to the Gentiles. And Saul was going to have a major role in that task. You know, when we look back over the account of Saul's conversion, you know, these four meetings that take place, you know, and the work of God in Saul's life, you know, we are amazed by the mighty hand of God, are we not? 
can't read the, the account of Saul's conversion and everything that takes place without seeing how God is doing a great work. You know, God takes the main persecutor for the church, saves this man and changes him from the inside out. God uses other men along the way, Ananias, Barnabas, to encourage him and strengthen him in the faith. And now that same man is commissioned with taking the gospel to the Gentiles. He's ordained by God to have a major role in the development of the church. Now, I was just thinking about that this week. You know, God is still in control today. God is still at work in his church today. Now, we can't always see his plan. We can't always understand what he is doing. But God has a plan. God has a purpose. And he knows what he's doing. He has a plan and a purpose for this local church. And like Saul, we each have a role to play. No matter what our past failures or mistakes may be, we have a role to play as we serve the Lord. You know, all the Lord wants is that, like Saul, we're faithful in serving him. We don't give up when persecution comes, when tough times come. We faithfully serve him. The Lord is in, on the throne. The Lord has a plan and a purpose for this church. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We thank you for the conversion of Saul and all these events that we've considered over the past few weeks. Lord, truly, we can see your mighty hand at work in his life. Lord, when no one else could see your plan, your purpose, Lord, you knew what you were doing. And Lord, we know that even today you have a plan and purpose for each of our lives. You have a plan and purpose for this church. Lord, we pray you help us like Saul and like others to be faithful in our service for you. Just remember your word now this day. May we consider and ponder upon it. In Jesus' name we pray.